Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. I appreciate it. We're going to be talking about a really interesting topic today. Uh, a listener wrote in and essentially asked me if he should quit tennis. So I'm going to be giving him some advice there. And But before we get to that, I want to uh, quickly talk about the response that I got to my offer last week to, to send out a free set of strain to anybody that signed up for the forums at EssentialTennis.com and introduced themselves. And I was kind of overwhelmed by the response, to be honest with all of you. I used to do this type of thing all the time to promote the forums. And I said last week that I felt kind of bad that I, I haven't done it in a while because it really is an amazing place. And and someplace online that you all should be a part of. And, uh, you know, I, I used to do, do this type of thing previously and get, you know, a couple of people would take advantage of it, maybe uh, six, eight or 10 or something. Well, last week, 94 people signed up for the forums and introduced themselves. 94 people from all over the world. I, I didn't count the, the countries, but there, there's got to be at least eight or 10 different countries that were represented there. And uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody that did sign up. And I also want to say, please be patient with me <laughs> in getting all the sets of strain out. Uh, they will be shipped out probably next week. I'm going out of town mid this week, so um, please be patient. I'm going to ship them out the week of the 17th to uh, to thank you for, for signing up and thank you for your patience. I'm going to include an essential tennis bracelets as well. One of those kind of Livestrom, uh, you know, Lance Armstrong style uh, bracelets. I've got a box of those uh, laying around. So I'm going to throw one of those in as well. And and I apologize that I can't, I can't accommodate all of the individual requests for strain. I'm ba- I mean, I hope you guys don't blame me. I'm ba- basically going to get, you know, the uh, a batch of strain, whatever I can get my hands on that's not super expensive. I mean, just to give you all an idea, if I, if I sent out a, a set of of Luxalon ALU Power, I just did the math on this, to everybody that signed up last week, it would cost me $1,598 without shipping. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, I'm sorry, several people wrote in and said, hey, you know, I like to use this and I, I wish I could, I could do that for everybody, but um, I hope you're all happy with, with what you get and uh, please remember that it's free. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to send along a bracelet as well. So I hope you guys appreciate that. So thank you to everybody that signed up. If you didn't get in in time to get the free strain, you should still sign up for the forums. You really should. And I, I look forward to, to meeting all of you and, and working with all of you there. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's topic. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's topic on the podcast. And I kind of feel like I'm running a, a, a Dear Abby kind of advice column today uh, for today's topic, which is great. I love you know giving my personal opinion and, and my advice on topics like this. And for those of you that are su- surprised, yes, I do know what Dear Abby is, believe it or not. 
I, I am old enough. And for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, you should definitely go Google that. So uh, today's topic comes to us from Daniel in California. He has himself down as a 3.0 player. Daniel writes and says, I'm a high school junior and I've been playing for my school's team since my freshman year, yet I have only made varsity this year and only for a couple of matches. Ever since I joined my freshman year, I've been trying to work really hard to improve practicing on my own, on my strokes and my conditioning, as well as strategy watching videos and listening to your podcast, yet I still can't play at the level that my other teammates can. I put a lot more time and effort into the sport than others, but they're still better than me. I'm, at, I, I'm an athletic kid, and I'm conscious of hitting shots correctly, so how come everybody still manages to play better than me effortlessly? I'm considering giving up on tennis because this has been going on for three years now, and I guess it's starting to be more frustrating than fun. Any advice? Thanks. Yes, Daniel, I definitely have advice for you. And we're going to spend um, today's episode just talking about Daniel's question here. And at the end, I'm going to go over some questions and comments from last week's episode as well. Lots of good questions and comments about last week's episode. But today we're just going to focus on Daniel. And Daniel, I'm basically going to break this up into four sections or, or four four main points or pieces of advice that I want to, to give you. And this is, you know, as always, uh, not just for you, although I'm you know, specifically speaking to you here and, and giving you advice. But I want to be clear that this is really important stuff for everybody. Um, managing expectations in tennis and and managing goals and knowing what to expect. I know that's the same thing as managing expectations, but knowing what to, what to expect. And I guess knowing what you're getting into when you begin tennis in earnest and you really start investing time and effort into it, it's just important to, to know where you're going and, and, and exactly what the sport of tennis entails. So I, my first point that I want to make to you, Daniel, is three years is a very short time to have played tennis. A very short time. There, You know what? I, I would almost bet that, I, I, I bet probably around 50% of people that are listening to this show today or whenever they're listening to it probably have been playing tennis for around as long as you've been alive. And they're not a whole lot farther advanced than you are. Some of them are. There, there's some 4-5 and 5-0 players that are listening to my show. But there's not many of them just because that's just how the statistics work out. 5.0 players make up only about a 1% or 2%, or is it 2 or 3%? It's just a couple of percentage points of overall tennis players. 4.5 players, you know, these are pretty advanced players, 4.5 and 5.0, only make up, you know, between 5 and 10% of everybody playing tennis in the entire country. So, and, and these are people that have been, a lot, a lot of them have been playing tennis for the majority of their lives, and, and they've put way more into it than you have. And a lot of them still aren't a whole lot further along than you are. So just first of the first thing I want to tell you is three years is very short. 
It's not very long. Uh, even if you've really put a lot of time and effort, effort into it, and that's great, by the way, and I'm really happy to hear that you're enthusiastic about it and you're passionate about it and you're, you're putting in those you know hard hours and the extra work, that's awesome. And you should be proud that you made your varsity team totally starting from scratch as a high school student. You know, it sounds like you didn't really play at all until you were a freshman. And um, Daniel wrote this question a a couple months ago. I I assume he's probably into his senior year of of high school now. But you should be proud that you've made your varsity team at this point, totally starting from scratch in high school. And and most, most varsity tennis players will fall into two categories. Most. And, and you know, this varies because some high schools, you know, there's just they're they're bigger, there there's more people to draw from for a tennis team, and or maybe the, the geographic area that the high school is in, it's just more of a tennis playing area. And so the level is just naturally higher. So it, it depends on where you are exactly. Um California is definitely a popular tennis state, very popular in in California. So, you know, you don't you're kind of starting off in a in a tough spot to begin with. So kids who are playing varsity tennis in high school in California are basically going to fall into one of two categories. Kids who played a bunch and have a lot of experience already before getting to high school and, you know, high school age is what, 14, 15, somewhere in there for for a freshman. And so, you know, some of these kids have already been around a tennis court for 10 years before starting high school. You know, you started from scratch as, as a freshman. And I don't know all the kids on your team, so I don't know how many of the kids on, on your varsity team fall into that category. But I know for sure, for a fact, that – well, I guess I don't know for a fact. I, I'm making a very educated guess that it's probably quite a few of them fall into that category. They've already been playing you know, for a long time, just heading, in the, heading into high school. And that's because their parents played, their parents got them lessons, got a club membership, etc., or category number two is kids who just have a knack for it and just pick it up really quickly. And this is not a lot of people, and I'm going to talk about that later. But basically, the kids that you're competing with are in those two those two categories. It basically falls into three categories. Uh, kids who have a lot of experience already, kids who just have a knack for it, and then kids like you who don't really have either, but you worked really hard and so you earned it and, and you, you made the team. You weren't, you know, you're not like top of the team or anything, but you made the team starting as a freshman. That's that's great. The second point that I want to make uh, to you, Daniel, is that tennis is way more difficult than it looks. Way more difficult. And I'm not saying this to be discouraging. I'm not saying this to be pessimistic. I'm just I'm just saying this just to say it, because somebody needs somebody needs to say it. Somebody needs to tell you this if they haven't already. Um, it, it's much more difficult than his reputation as as well. As probably especially among high school kids, you know, tennis does not have a reputation as you know a high skill sport. When, when you're a when you're a high school kid, everybody goes to the basketball game. Everybody goes to the football game. Depending on where in the country you live, everybody might go to the lacrosse game um, out here on the East Coast or in the Mid-Atlantic, lacrosse is really big. So, I mean, those are the sports that kind of get a a good reputation. Tennis usually is kind of an afterthought. And so as a result, it seems like, ah, you know, it's the tennis team. How hard could this possibly be? 
but that's not true. It's, it is hard. It's very difficult. Being good at tennis is really tough. So don't feel bad that you aren't already excelling. You've only played for three years and it's not easy. Even if you are a good overall athlete, it's not easy to be a great tennis player. It's just not. And that's, that's just being real. That, that's just being realistic. Point number three I want to make is that once in a while, somebody will pick it up naturally, but that's very rare, even if you are a great athlete. And I, I just, I want to be, you know, totally level here. I just want to be real and, and upfront with you about this as well. Tennis is harder than it looks. That was point number two. Um, three years is not a very long period of time. That was point number one. And point number three is, is once in a while, somebody picks it up naturally and, and they just kind of pick up a tennis racket and they, they, everything just kind of, it just, it just kind of happens organically, you know, and that happens very, very rarely. And that's because tennis combines a very comprehensive and really kind of unique mix of abilities of eye-hand coordination, speed, quickness, endurance, muscular strength, mental focus, critical thinking, and strategy. Now, listen, I'm not saying that other sports don't combine all those things. I, I don't, I'm not a hater of, of other sports. I, I love, I love all sports. Well, almost, almost all sports. And uh, I have a great deal of respect for anybody that excels at any uh, athletic endeavor. But I, I really feel strongly that the tennis really brings all of those things together. And, and you have to have a very high level of all of those things to really just pick it up and just be a great player right from the get-go. It very, very rarely happens. I'm going to say a fraction of 1% of people would just pick it up right away. And it sounds like you're not one of those people. And, and you should not feel bad about that, Daniel. You should not feel badly about that. Um, because it almost never happens. <laughs> that, that definitely wasn't me. Uh, I, I, I think I'm probably... I think I'm probably a little bit more naturally gifted than the average person, but most of my um, most of the advances that I made in my game were really due to hard work, and I was fortunate to start earlier than than you did. So I, I had a couple of things going for me. Um, I, I started around age ten, which is still not super early. You know, people who really really advance and get up to like Division One college or maybe even low level professional. Very rarely are those people, um, people that didn't start when they were four or five years old, you know, at least being around the sport. I'm not saying 10 hours of lessons a week or anything like that, but at least around the, around the game and then pretty serious in the lessons by age like 10 or so. And um, so anyway, anyway, I kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I just want to make the point that every, every once in a while, somebody will pick it up naturally, but very, very rarely does that happen. So don't feel badly about that. So those are my three kind of reality checks there. Three years is a short period of time. Tennis is way more difficult than it looks. I mean, really, it really is. And once in a while, somebody is just a natural at it, but almost, I mean, very rarely happens. I'm not going to say almost never, but it, it very rarely happens. So should you quit? Should you just hang up your racket and, and just be done with it? I don't th think you should, but the it's going to depend on your attitude and it's going to depend on your expectations. And my, th my goal in my first three points was to hopefully, uh, hopefully be 
you know, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but on the other hand, I, I want to make sure that you have a realistic outlook on what you should be accomplishing here. I think that you've already accomplished a lot just by making your varsity team, having started playing tennis as a freshman in, in California, which is uh, one of the most competitive tennis states in the country. So you shouldn't feel badly about that. And you should be, I mean, truthfully, you should be proud of just that fact. Now, uh, it's good that you want to advance your tennis game, but you have to be realistic. And and you've had three things going against you up until this point. Um, you started relatively late, you know, rel- relatively. There's a lot of people listening to my voice right now that didn't start till, till they're 30 or 40, and that's fine. And we're gonna and that has to do with just having the right expectations, which is what we're going to talk about here. But for for you wanting to excel at varsity in your high school, you know, team. Um, having that be a goal of yours, you have not been playing very long. So relative to that goal, you haven't been playing very long. And tennis is tough. We all have that going against us. And you're not a natural born just player to just pick up a racket and just play awesome just right out of the gate. And again, small percentage of people are that. Now, does that mean that it's, that it's not possible to improve and enjoy yourself? No. You can continue to improve. You can continue to enjoy yourself. And that goes for everybody listening to my voice right now. I don't care if you're a high school senior. I don't care if you're 10 years old. I don't care if you're 75 and you've only been playing tennis as long as Daniel has. You can continue to improve and you can continue to enjoy yourself. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It's What's important is that you have realistic goals and expectations and enjoy the process. Daniel, it sounds to me like you you put up for yourself a goal of exceeding your peers and being able to excel against the other players that are that are around you. And that might not have been a realistic goal, given the fact of when you started, how tough tennis is, and the fact that you're just not just a natural, you know, genius <laughs> tennis player. And so you're, you're picking it up as you go, just like every, 99% of everybody else that picks up a tennis racket. And that's just the reality of tennis for 99% of people, that they just have to work hard, make one small improvement at a time, and just keep putting one, one foot in front of the other. And that's just how it goes. So you have to be realistic about it. So you have to enjoy, uh, I'm sorry, you have to learn to enjoy that part of it. Love to practice, love drilling. Love working out, love learning new strategies and implementing new strategies. Love competing for the sake of competing's sake. Not that you have to win and you can only enjoy competition if you come out ahead, but just love the process of competing. Like for me, that, that's, that's probably the biggest motivator for me. I love the fight. I love the battle. I love the the head-to-head, you know, mentality of tennis. It's me versus you. Only one of us can win, and I I want to be that person. And I, I, I just love that kind of spirit of competition and the kind of mano a mano kind of mentality there. I, I really love that. Now, I hate to lose. I, I, it doesn't matter who I lose to. I hate to lose, but I'm getting better. And this was, you know, for me, my biggest downfall as far as my own expectations were concerned, um, as a as a younger competitive player, 
um, I had to learn how to just enjoy the process of competition and not attach to that the the stipulation that I had to win in order to enjoy myself. And that's what that's you kind of need to make a little bit of an attitude change, Daniel, and start to realize where you are, appreciate how far you've already come, and enjoy the process. There will always be people that try less than you and still beat you. It doesn't matter how good you are. That that's happened to me. That's happened to everybody else listening, everybody, without exception, unless unless people are listening that have never played competitively before. Um, that would be the exception. But um, among people that have played competitively, we have all lost to people that try less and still beat us. And that's frustrating, but you have to keep in mind that that's just how it goes. And that's, you know what, this is, this is just a great life parallel. And so much of tennis parallels life. And, and being able to, to learn life lessons. And this is a great life lesson for you, Daniel. Life, life isn't always fair. And you can sometimes work your butt off and work really hard towards a goal. And it might even be a very worthwhile goal and a very admirable goal, you know, a very pure goal. And somebody else might beat you to it who you don't think deserves it. And that's just how it goes sometimes. And tennis can be like that. It's not like that all the time. And uh, unless your expectations aren't correct, and it's, and it sounds like you've kind of fallen into that trap a little bit, so I just want to make sure that you're realistic about it, and just love tennis for tennis's sake, not for some dream of dominating everybody and always winning, and and um, thinking you should be the top of the team just because you work harder than everybody else. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way, and that just might be where you are right now. So. All right, so so I've been kind of going on and on a little bit, and and I had a feeling that would happen with this topic, and and I and I hope that this has been helpful to you, Daniel, and I hope that this has been helpful to everybody else. I I want everybody to have realistic expectations. I I want everybody to be happy with where they are, and be happy with the small improvements that they continue to make, and once in a while, those big improvements that you make, be really happy about that. Um, don't get caught up in needing to win or needing to get to X, Y, or Z level by X, Y, or Z period of time. Just enjoy the process. You know, there's just that really cliche saying, um, you know, it's it's not about the arriving at your destination. It's about enjoying the journey or something like that. You, you get the idea. But that's basically what you need to learn how to do, Daniel, is enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. Don't make it about arriving at some destination or some goal. Otherwise, every day that you haven't made it will be a disappointment to you. And if you continue to think that way, then it's, you know, I mean, it's very possible you will quit because it'll just be too frustrating. And I don't want that to happen to you. So, Daniel, hopefully this was helpful to you. Please let me know if you have any further questions. I'd be happy to help you. And, um... Look forward to, to hearing everybody else's thoughts and comments on this as well. But Daniel, best of luck to you. Best of luck during your senior year of high school. I hope that you're continuing to play. And let me know how you're doing, okay? All right. That does it for episode 191 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. And if you have any thoughts or or questions about anything I talked about in today's episode, please let me know by coming back to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast 
and clicking on episode number 191. And just leave a comment or a question there. And I, I try my best to reply to everybody and or read a couple of those at the end of the next week's episode, which I'm going to do right now. I've got a couple of really good comments and questions from last week where I talked about being more successful versus 5.0 players. And that seemed to be a really uh, popular topic. It seemed like a lot of people were interested in that topic and had some really good discussion back and forth with, with several of you uh, in the comments section Appreciate all the feedback that you guys left. And I'm going to read a question here from Woody in the comments, who, uh, by the way, is one of the new uh, forum members. Welcome, uh, Woody. Woody wrote and said, the uh, the last part of the podcast about dealing with very fast-paced ground strokes hit really hard to one spot um, was really good. Not too big of a swing, not too short and choppy, but relaxed and with a good vertical path, low to high. It seems to be great advice to apply to dealing with big serves as well. Is that correct? Yes, Woody. That's um, that's actually a really good parallel to draw and a really good uh, observation there. Uh, dealing with big serves can definitely be challenging. And recreational players' response to that situation is very often similar. They'll either panic and take a huge cut and overswing and you know, kind of overjuice the shot and make a lot of unforced errors, or they kind of fall uh, into the opposite end of the spectrum and they get really tentative, short, choppy, and the result is actually less control and not more control. So yes, to, to deal with really big serves, you also have to be relaxed, calm, smooth, allow the racket to move through the point of contact smoothly. That doesn't mean aggressively, but just calm and relaxed to, so that you can, you can control the shot. And uh, once you get up to a really big uh, serve, other things start to be uh, useful as well. Um, qu- quickening up your um, your take back, making a little bit shorter of a take back can also be very, very useful. Having a good split step and a good ready position, um, having good anticipation, all of those all of those things all work into play when trying to be a good returner. But um, you're right, Woody, a lot of the technical elements in terms of the... Uh, Swing technique are actually very similar. Okay, and um, two things here, two questions from Brian also that I wanted to get to. Number one, um, <laughs> you, and remember, the uh, the person asking the question last week about 5-0 players, uh, the first one said he was a 3-5 player, usually plays like a 4-0 player, and I made the uh, the comment that the, the difference between just a 0.5 difference in NTRP is is 6-0, 6-0 essentially. So Brian said, um, you're so polite and careful with your wording, but I suspect that you have to be thinking in the back of your mind that this 3.5 player wasn't really facing a full onslaught of a 5.0 player and holding their own. You are correct that half a point rating difference is huge if a 3.5 player is only used to facing 3.25 to 3.75 level competition, then a 4.0 player might seem overwhelming. I suspect most rec players have never really seen a 5.0 match. Is it more likely that this 3.5 player was really playing a 4.0 to 4.25 who maybe used to be a 5.0 in their heyday? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Brian, first of all, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I always try to be diplomatic on the podcast. You know, I, I don't, I do not want to come off as some kind of know-it-all, 
you know, I'm the tennis pro, you know, silly 3.5 player. You know, you're that's a dumb question or what, whatever, you know, uh, that's just not my personality. And I hope I never come off that way. Um, it's, I, I never will. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I'm never going to come off that way. I, I'm always going to be respectful to, to anybody that asks questions. But that being said, yeah, it was in the it was in the back of my head, Brian. I'd be lying if I didn't say that it was in the back of my head that um, either this quote unquote 5.0 player was sandbagging and you know playing down to the to the person who asked the question to to make it you know more um, competitive so that it wasn't a waste of, of time. That that's very possible. It's very possible that that happened. It, it was a 5.0 player. And he was nice enough to to keep it close, you know, and keep it competitive, so that it was it was a good use of time for for the other person, and that would have been a very nice thing to do. And that's you know essentially what I used to do as a teaching pro, eight hours a day, was play right to the level of my students to give them the best possible you know use of their time. And um, a nice person who's a high level player will be happy to do that for you once in a while. So either that happened or this person says they're a 5-0 player, um, tried hard, and it was still close, and this person is not really a 5-0 player. <laughs> or it could be that the question asker isn't really a 3-5 player. You know, there's, there's several different scenarios. Maybe this person uh, self-rated at a 3-5, but in reality, if he played a lot, he would very quickly be bumped up. And he actually play, he does actually play significantly higher than a 3-5. And maybe he hasn't played USTA competition enough to really be, you know, normalized within NTRP and really have his rating truly uh, be reflected. Um, you know, we can all self-rate our, ourselves, but the, the only way that we really find out where we stand is by playing a whole bunch of people and seeing where we win and where we lose. And that's really ultimately what uh, gives us a rating um, at the end of the day. So, so yeah, <laughs> Brian, there's, uh, there's basically three different scenarios there that could have happened, but, but the difference between three, five, even a strong three, five and five Oh is, I mean, really too big to even put in the words. So, um, and that's just, as I said several times earlier in today's podcast uh, question, I mean, that's just being real. That's just being honest. Um, that's that's just how it is. So so yes, there was definitely something else going on there. Um, I agree with you. <clears throat> and then one more question from Brian: um, definition of errors on TV. Um, they reference winners and unforced errors, but for some reason, forced errors get ignored. Can you please break down the difference in definitions and how they help know what we work on, uh, what we should work on? Sure, that, that's a really good question. Um, a winner is a shot that is not touched. Okay, so um, service winner would be an ace. I mean, the the technical definition of a winner is a shot that gets hit by one player that lands in the court and is not even touched by the other player before it bounces twice. It's not even touched. That's a winner. That's as uh, opposed to a forced air, which is a good shot that lands in the court and the other player touches it, but it was such a good shot that they were not expected to put it back in play. So they forced a mistake on the other player's part. Um, and then, let's see, winners, unforced errors, and for, oh, right, enforced, uh, forgot unforced errors. Unforced errors would be one player hits a ball on the court, the other player gets to it, misses, but it was an easy enough shot 
that they were expected to have put it in play under normal circumstances. So um, as you can um, uh, kind of deduce, there's a little subjectivity here. Um, it, it's not black and white, the difference between a an unforced error and a forced error. There's, there's a little bit of, I don't want to say opinion that goes into it, um, but you kind of have to look at the situation. You have to know both players, what they typically make, what they typically don't make. And you have to look at the you know court positioning, how hard, fast of a shot, how well placed the, the previous shot was that was missed, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a little bit of gray area between unforced error and, and forced error, but those are the, the definitions. Now, when I chart a match for a student that's trying to get better, I group together, essentially, shots that were hit that won a point and shots that were hit that lost a point. So I, I group together winners and forced errors. And um, I separate those from unforced errors completely. So for each player, basically, you hit a shot that did one of two things. It was a good enough shot to win the point or you missed. That's how I like to chart matches. So, so I group together forced errors and, and winners into kind of one column that's just winning shots and then the other column is unforced errors. And then I tally those up and I, and I kind of compare the ratio of winning shots to losing shots for each player. And that, that tells me how offensive and how consistent a player is being. So if one player has um, about even winning shots and losing shots, then you know they're doing pretty well. They're balancing things out pretty well. If uh, a player lost the first set and has let's say, 15 losing shots, but only five winning shots, then that player is making a lot of unforced errors and um, needs to be more consistent. And when you compare the winning shots and losing shots of both players together and you look at the resulting score, you get a sense of who is controlling the points. You get a sense of um, if somebody needs to be more offensive or, or dial it back and be more consistent. And that's usually how I like to look at those stats. A little, kind of simplify it and just get a general sense of how the points are ending and what somebody, what changes somebody can make to to do better, <laughs> basically. All right. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap up the show. Uh, we've gone past 30 minutes again, but I wanted to get to some of the uh, comments and questions there from last week's show. If you have any comments or questions about this week's show, please leave them at EssentialTennis.com/podcast. Episode number 191. Thank you so much for listening this week. I appreciate having you as a listener and looking forward to seeing you all here again next week. Until then, take care and good luck with your tennis.